Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Good morning. I wanted to see who was here. I was, when I came in, not everybody was in their place. And uh, my name's Joe White. And um, we're at, oh, they're not playing the piano as I talk. I, I thought I was going to be serenaded as we went through the day. I'm kidding. I'm joking. It is a privilege to be here. And uh, I pastor the Grace Baptist Church over in Philadelphia. And I've been there as the pastor for just about 10 years. They still haven't caught on to me and they still love me. And, uh, but it's, it's a privilege to, to be here with you all. I've been praying for you. Our church has been praying for you. And um, we've been, you know, many times on our midweek service, we've, we've been praying for this church, this transition. Transitions are dangerous. When you're in between things, it's just dangerous. And, you know, one of the things that I prayed is that God would guard your hearts. Because you know what happens is, as the news and what we see and all of the, sometimes just all of the different relationships, sometimes hearts get kind of pulled away and turned toward, against each other, not towards each other. And that's been our prayer. And uh, Pastor Yanizzi's coming in and and that's exciting. I mean, I don't know how you did that. I mean, that's a get, that's a really big get. We've been trying to get him back to the area for years when I was a child, he was the youth pastor in our church. And uh, his, his uncle was my pastor for, for many, many years. And Pastor Penichetti led him to the Lord, and he grew up in Bethel Baptist Church in Philadelphia. And uh, Pastor Nizzi was on my ordination council. And uh, those, that day was scary. Uh, they, were, they were looking at me, and they were hungry. And I thought I was what was in between them and a meal. And uh, so ordination councils, that's the big deal. Just get out of the way. But Pastor Yanizzi is just a, a, just a dear mentor of mine. When I took the pastorate of Grace Baptist Church, uh, he reached out and said, listen, anytime you need me, anytime you need me, give me a call. And there have been occasions where I've called him and said, I'm going through something. I don't know really know how to handle it. You know, I'm getting different voices in my ear. And uh, he's been a good friend. He threatened me today a little bit. And uh, he sent me a text last night and said, you better preach Christ. And uh, I don't know if you're, he seems a little too connected. I don't know if he's watching this right now. Growing up, and I still swear, him and Pastor Basso are part of the Baptist family, if you know what I mean, right? And uh, you never want to, you know, Pastor Yanizzi, love him to death. I'm just so glad he's coming. And it really is. I'm telling you what. Uh, when, when Brother Tyler and I were talking and he mentioned he was coming in, he said, I've never met him. I don't know him. And I'm like, oh, man, I just a sigh of relief. Just what a what a, a proven shepherd, someone who loves people. He loves you already and that loves the Lord. And uh, I'm telling you what, you guys are in for a wild ride. He is an amazing, amazing pastor. He's still Philadelphia at heart. He may be polished. 
you know? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? He's got a little bit of, a little bit of just a really, real smooth way about him, and he walks around, and he calls you by name. You can't sleep when he's preaching, because who will call your name? So this is one of the last weeks you could sleep in church, because I don't know your name. Honey, if you take a nap, I'm coming for you, all right? And, uh, but boy, it's a privilege to be in God's house today. It's a privilege to, for us to be here live. I don't know if you remember, but a few months back, there was an ice storm that kept me from being here with you. And uh, we record it in an empty room. Just my son and one other person were there and they're recording and we're in this empty room. And I'm thinking, this is not how I like to be. I just want to be around people. And, um, but you know what, today I hope that we're a blessing. Brother Tyler asked me if I would sing. Um, I don't know if that's a blessing. You'll have to judge until after you hear the song. The proof's in the pudding. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but this is a song that probably is familiar, probably only a couple of you. A friend of mine wrote this song. And maybe everybody knows it, and I'm just saying nobody knows it. And, you know, have you ever heard the song before? You will in a second. All right. And uh, the name of the song is He Took My Cup. Can I tell you, we're here today. We just celebrated the Easter season. We just were reminded of what God has done for us. I was watching the, and, and the Holy Spirit's here. Justin, you're singing. He is here. He's glorified. The Spirit in this room is so sweet. Uh, and that's the way it ought to be when we get together. But boy, we're going to celebrate the fact that we are in Christ. We're in Christ not because we've merited it a little bit. But it's all because of what Christ did. And you know what the reality is? What Christ gave to us is everything that he deserves. And what he took on him is everything we deserve. And this song says, he took my cup. In the garden where he prayed on his knees, Father, let this cup pass from me. The blood dropped from his skin, revealing the pain within. What sorrow held my Savior on that day? I question what was in that bitter cup. What grail so ill could captivate the courage of my Lord? Then opening up my eyes, he pointed deep within, revealing that this bitter cup was filled with all my sin. He took my cup, he drank it up, and all the wrath that I deserved was taken by my Lord. The Father turned his back on the Son he loved so much that day when Jesus took my cup.
As I watched him hang between the earth and sky, the guilt I felt was more than I could bear. But then my tears dried away as I heard the life the way, declaring, it is finished, the debt is paid. Reality was now coming into view. This child of God, this Holy One, was offering to me a jewel of beauty rare, priceless beyond compare. His gracious hand held to my lips his cup for me to share. And he said, Here's my cup, drink it up. Salvation dwell is flowing free, receive what I have done. Here's my cup, drink it up. Just kneel beneath that rugged tree, forget yourself and trust in me. Heaven is your destiny if you'll just drink my cup. His cup filled every longing of my dry and thirsty soul. One drink and now I'm singing, Jesus made me his cup I drank it up salvation dwell is flowing free heaven is my destiny because once upon that rugged tree Jesus took my cup he took my Don't you love that song? Oh, man, I love it. I love it. I love being in God's house. I love singing all of the songs, all, except maybe trust and obey. That's, I don't like, tr I don't like obeying, because trusting means you can't see. And uh, obeying, boy, I don't, I don't know. It's been, uh, but what a, what a sweet day in God's house. I hope that was a blessing to you. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8? I'll be back tonight. And you might be staying home now after you heard that. And, uh, but I, I'll, be, I'll be sharing the Word of God again tonight. I think I'll be singing another song tonight. And um, Mark chapter 8. If you look at your Bibles, we'll read these verses just in a second. But Mark chapter 8. Mark, by the way, is a book that when you read it, you get out of breath. Uh, in that there's so much going on. In just this chapter of Mark chapter 8, there's so much that's going on. You, you see here, if, if, 
at verse number one, you see Jesus feeding the multitude, right? And uh, then the people, because they were fed, they must have been Baptist. They came back because the Lord fed them. And uh, sure enough, when, 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 when they were just pressed into him and they couldn't, you know, Jesus just needed some space and he was moving and, and uh, they're on the ship. And, and there, if you are uh, if you're familiar with the chapter, uh, the disciples are on the ship and Jesus is talking with them and he starts to say this. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples who had been with Jesus for quite a while now, they had, you know, they knew more of this, they knew more of the life of Christ than we do. You, you know, in, in the Gospels, we have about, I believe it's 52 days of Christ's life recorded. There's three years of his public ministry, but the Gospels all woven together, together tell a story that's only 52 days long. So they were party to all of it. And Jesus, when he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, we've got the benefit of teaching and preaching. We know that leaven is sin. We know that the Pharisees, their thought is a sinful thought, right? It's a, it's a prideful thought. It's a religious thought outside of a relationship with God. And, and the Pharisees are, boy, I'll tell you what, that just grows. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, you and I might say, amen. All right, I'll, take an, I'll keep an eye on them. But they said, is he talking about bread? I know. We didn't bring any bread with us. That's the problem. Right? And, and, and Jesus looks at them. If you're at verses 14 to 21, he's talking to them about this, this leaven. And he's saying, guys, it has nothing to do with bread. He said this, he said, how many people did we just feed? And, and then he said, how many baskets did we have left over? And verse 21 says, you're seeing all of these things, but you just don't get it. Now, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I have a Philadelphia version of the Bible that I speak sometimes. If you look at verse 21, verse 21 doesn't say it quite that way. Matter of fact, it says it a whole lot better than I would be able to say it, but... My, my limited mind. Verse 21, he said unto them, how is it that you, ye do not understand? You don't get it. You just saw this miracle in front of you. You just saw all of that's going on. You, you, you know, you just don't get it. Sometimes the spiritual life feels that way. You just don't get it. Because our economy often is inverted compared to God's economy. His economy was right. His economy was first. Ours is twisted because we're fallen. And even people in church, I mean, th these disciples are in church on a boat. Now, some of you are thinking, boy, it's a beautiful day out. I wish I was on, in church on a boat. You might have a boat. Call it church. Name the boat church. And you'd say, where are you? Church. Right? You know, the, the, the old joke was, you know, the, an old preacher named his boat Visitation. Where are you at? Oh, I'm on Visitation. <laughs> you know, the, the reality is this. These people in church, and they just didn't get it. Now, the danger is, they didn't know they didn't get it. They came up with their own you know, surmising, they came up with their own idea, and Jesus is saying, hey, 
beware of the leaven of the Pharisee. Just the fact that he said beware told them that there was something that they had to be careful of and that they, that it's a bad thing. There's, you know, real simple, good and bad, good and bad, good and bad. Jesus said the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees was bad. And they're sitting there saying, yeah, you know, it's been a couple hours. Maybe he's hungry. Maybe we didn't bring enough bread. And Jesus said, guys, you, you, you don't understand, right? Like, I just created all of this food. That was a, that was a, a miracle of multiplication and a, a miracle of, 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 of provision. Jesus wasn't worried about bread. So it's amazing, the next story, when it says, hey, you can't, you don't understand... The next story is where we're going to find ourselves today. Mark chapter 8. And what I typically do in our church is we read the entire text that we're going to consider. And we ask God's blessing and then we kind of take it apart. And so I hope you'll indulge me to do that today. Look at verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida. And they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand. And let him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and had put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught, if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands together upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored. And he saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Father God, as we are in this room together, we've already said it, we are your people. This is your house. These are your words. And Lord, I pray that this week, that you would give us light to see what you're doing in and through us, around us. Give us the clarity of, of heart and mind. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus' salvation. Lord, that we have not because we're good, not because we give, not because we're present, not because we're active, not because we're moral, but because you are gracious and that you paid the price. And we today are here in that. And Lord, to be quite honest, we want to take full advantage of it. We don't want to leave anything on the table, so to speak. We want to hear from you so that we could live this life that you've given us. Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for Pastor Yanizzi. We thank you for this church and all of the many that met through these years have been encouraged, who have been a part of this church, who have marched as a church and have served and loved as a church. And we pray today that you would give us this time to understand who you are and what you'd have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the book of Mark has, this is just a little factoid, the book of Mark has two miracles that are not mentioned in any of the other Gospels. It was this miracle and the miracle of Jesus healing the man who was deaf. Now, in Bible times, people really stayed away from anyone that was deaf. They they didn't understand it. They, they were almost haunted by a deaf person. And, um, uh, you know, here again, this, this man who is blind, he is kind of on the outside. 
He can't function and contribute to society quite like a normal man would. And Jesus meets him. So this, I just want to give you a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a clue. These, this miracle. See, God is so sovereign that I believe he set up this miracle in a way to drive home the point of the passage we just read. God, there's no coincidences with God, is there? Right? There's no coincidences with God. Uh, you know, there is that God is sovereignly in control and what's recorded, and we find this in the book of Mark, chapter 8. But here we see this is a, a continuation. It's a teaching tool that Jesus is trying to say something to them. Now, what happens is sometimes, now I, I'm going to tell you, if a man was blind and he was healed in this room and we knew he was blind, it wasn't staged, it wasn't faked, it wasn't, and we, would, it, we would all be amazed. We'd be clapping. We'd all want to shake his hand, right? We, we would be, I mean, it would be on all of our social media, right? The young people would be taking selfies. The older people would try to take selfies and be taking pictures of the ceiling, you know what I'm talking about? I open my phone. I'm pretty savvy, but I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I got it. I got it. That's the button that turns the camera around. I don't take selfies very often, right? It's usually just with my bride because she's so good looking. But that's another story. But here, we'd be talking about this. The miracle in itself is amazing. But I want to tell you there's a truth that I believe Jesus is trying to communicate through this miracle. And I hope I can share with you some of this truth. Yes, Jesus had the power over blindness. He has the power over blindness. I didn't say, I should have said, sort of said had. He has the power over blindness. In this day, uh, well, not our day, this day, the cure that they tried for blindness, they would mix rooster blood and honey and make a salve. How well do you think that worked? How, how many people do you think were cured of their blindness by that medical technology and advancement? The pharmaceutical implications are just, it just blows my mind, right? But, but here we find this man who couldn't be cured. I'm reminded when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent and asked word of Christ, are you the Christ? Do you remember what, what one of Jesus' answers was? Would you go back and tell him that the blind are receiving their sight? Jesus was doing something. I think they brought him because this wasn't the first blind man that Jesus healed. And I, I think this was the medical journal of the day, sort of. Let's get him to Jesus. And if Jesus touches him, he'll be healed. So I want to look at this account a little closer. Look at verse 22. And he, Jesus, cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. I want to tell you, first of all, you know what I notice in this text? I notice a confidence. I notice confidence. You know, it's amazing. When people came to Christ, they came believing. There was a confidence that they had. Think about the, the, the men who tore the roof apart 
to lower their friend down into the space. You talk about confidence. What about the woman who had the issue of blood and she forced her way through the crowd and just said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, there was a confidence there. The Syrophoenician woman, the, you know, the centurion, uh, you know, you just go down through the list. When anyone had a miracle happen in their life, it always started with confidence. I think about the impotent man, the man that couldn't get up and he was by the pool and, and um, the pool of Bethesda and, and waiting for the angel to, to stir it up. But do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, do you want to be well? I think there was, a, there was a measuring stick, right? I mean, I, never in Israel have I seen such great faith, he said to the Syrophoenician. You, you, you just go on and on and on, and you just see that there was a confidence. What was the confidence in? The confidence in was in, number one, in God's presence. Can I tell you, Jesus is approachable. I love what Hebrew says. We don't have a high preach that can't be touched with the feeling of our firmity, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. You know, the reality is you don't come to God if you don't feel that you could approach him. We're told to come boldly into the throne of grace. Can I tell you today, if you're going to start seeing what he wants you to see, it starts with a confidence. It wasn't just that he was there, but it was that they could approach him. Have you ever met a famous person out in public? One of my favorite singers years ago, we went and heard him. And um, afterwards, we were sitting in a diner. It was my, my wife and I, my daughter and my mother. And we're sitting in this diner. We're up in New York. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to... Um, uh, what's the name of the diner? Junior's Deli up in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Junior, if you've never been there, you need to go. It's a bucket list thing. Uh, amen. So I got an amen. That's the first amen of the day. I got an absolutely. I'm loving that. I don't know who said it, but you're my people. And the singer came in over at the other room. And I was like, I mean, I, I was probably, this is probably five years ago. So I was, you know, I wasn't a kid. And I was like, I want to go say hello to him. I'm going to go say hello. And I was like, nah, I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm just going to confess something to you. I took my daughter with me and said, uh, sir, my daughter would like to meet you. <laughs> oh, man. And we got a, I don't know if we got a, we got a picture there that night. And I met him. Right. That took all the nerve I could get. I, I, a couple weeks ago, we were at the Sixers game, and, and uh, Michael Barkan, I don't know if you know Michael Barkan, if you're a sports fan, you know he's a sportscaster. And uh, my daughter and I are, are there, and I, you know, this time I played it cool. You know, I was like, hey, Barkan, how are you? I gave him a, gave him a pound, and I kept rolling, and Emmy was like, who was that? <laughs> you know, listen, Jesus isn't just present, he's approachable. That's what the confidence is. Listen, we know that there's a God. And we know there's a God that can heal, but will we come to Him? I got like 10 minutes left. I'll give you 12. I'll give you the 12 minute version. Jesus is approachable. 
The Bible says he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Not just were they, well, not just were they confident in his presence, but they were confident in his power. They were confident in his power. It's not just that they could approach him, not, not just that he was present, but that he was able. Man, we used to sing that song in Sunday school. He is able, he is able, I know he's able, I know my God is able. Right? We had the sign language too, but it's been a long time. He heals the brokenhearted and he sets the captives free. He made the lame to walk again and he calls the blind to see for he is. Right? We used to sing that song. My, I start singing songs like that and my wife just puts her head down. He's not going to remember all the words. <laughs> you know, uh, Brother Tyler said, is she your amen section? I'm like, she's the oh me section. That's why I take my glasses off because I can't see her, fa her face right here. It looks like she's smiling and happy right now. I like to keep it that way. <laughs> he was more than the rabbi. He was more than a friend. He was the healer. Thank you. I love it. You are, I just, you guys are awesome. You get a hug. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. And I'll ask you a question after each one of these points. What impossibility stands before you today? Now, it's different for everybody. But there's something. You know what's amazing? God always likes to have things in our lives that make us run to Him. What impossibility stands in front of you today? Let me ask you this question. Have you counted Him able? Let's look, look on the verse 23 and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town and when he had spit on his eyes and he put his hands upon him he asked him if he saw aught did you see anything and he looked up and said i see men walking men as trees walking after that he put his hands upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly we see secondly the cure we saw the confidence, but here we see the cure. And we understand about the cure. Number one, it's personal. We got to get out of saying he's, done, he's so good to us and start saying he's so good to me. You know, for God so loved the world, for God so loved Joe, for God so loved Raj, for God so, right? Fill in the blank. We, we need to personal things. You know, religion many times keep things so big. I don't like religion. I just, it just bugs me because it locks people up. It doesn't free them. Truth frees them. And, and we see and we understand that, that, that God is present and God is approachable. God is able. But He's my God. You know, I see this. He drew him away from the town. When you read this, you're, you know, it, it's just sometimes it just becomes a point of, all right, they, they, they stepped off to the side. You know what I really believe was happening? I believe this was a very personal healing, not a public one. Because the pain was personal, the pain wasn't public. 
The struggle wasn't a public one. The struggle was a personal one. We have a personal Savior. We have a personal God. When you can go to Him, you can be assured that He knows what you're going through. And He wants to be there for you. The cure, the the healing is always personal. There's only a few miracles that weren't personal. That, in my mind, as I think about it, uh, the miracles that were uh, not so much personal was the, maybe the feeding, right? Because it was corporate. Now, each individual ate, but it was more of for the whole. You see these people that the dead was raised, the lame were walking. That was a very individual cure. Can I tell you, God is concerned about you. The question I ask you, do you have a personal relationship with him? There are some people, their relationship is only defined by being in the crowd. You could be in this room today and, and you could hear these things about God and you could hear these things about Christ. And, and, and you know what? You're just part of the crowd and they may appeal to you. But until you get that personal relationship with Christ, you have nothing. It's not that I know God, it's that God knows me that matters. Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Listen, we're here, you're here. We might as well take care of business. Let's not, I don't want to pat you on the back and I don't want to give you words that make you feel good. I'd rather say to you today that Jesus desires to have a personal relationship with you. He didn't just die for the sins of the whole world. He died for your sin. Do you enjoy a one-on-one audience with him? Again, some people only interact with God when they're in this room. You might say, you know, Pastor Joe, boy, that's, that's some deep truth. But yeah, all he did was take him to the side. And God wants to meet you and take you to the side. And if this is all you have... You know church. But I want you to know Christ. I want you to know Christ. Now, it's a personal healing, but it's also progressive. Now, I have a hard time with this, if I could just be honest, because I know that Christ, you know, John 1 tells us that Jesus is the Word, right? And we know that the worlds were framed because God just spoke it. And God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said, and God said. And, and, and Jesus here says, all right, here's a, here's a little bit of spittle. And, and he spits and, and, and it's applied to the eyes of the blind man. And he says, can you see now? And he can't. And at first... I start to think maybe Jesus didn't do a good enough job the first time. Now, I don't, don't, don't be throwing anything at me, right? But if we're just looking at the text, what are we saying? Hey, Jesus tried it one time and it didn't work. You ever go to a doctor and he says, we're going to try this first, and if it doesn't work, we'll do this? All they're doing is, you know, collecting extra copays. No, they're not. They're not. They're not. You may be a doctor in this room and be like, we need to talk. You do. This shoulder's bothering me. Maybe you could help me. No, I'm kidding. No, but the reality is this. This miracle is a progressive one. Now, 
Was it that Christ didn't try hard enough? No. Because he could have just spoke it. He could have just thought it. There were people that were, that were healed at a distance just because Christ said, go thy way. Thy servant liveth. Go thy way. So maybe if we start to ask a question, why did Christ take two attempts at this? Maybe we'll see some truth that I think we need to see today. Maybe we'll learn something. Why is it? I think, this is only me, I think he was illustrating what happened in the previous passage on that boat. The disciples could see, but they couldn't understand. I think they could see, but they didn't understand. He even says, you have eyes to see, but you cannot see. You have ears to hear, and you cannot hear. That's this, that's this passage before. I think, I, think there's a, I think there's a wink, wink going on between Jesus and his disciples saying, hey, listen, there are people that get the broad, get the fuzzy picture, but they don't have any focus. There's a progression here. I think this was a parable to the disciples. I think he wanted to show the disciples something. They had turned from darkness to light. Amen. But there was more to see. Listen, church, you could be in Christ, you could sing the songs, but can I tell you, there is more to see. You know what we know doctrinally that we can never, we, God is past finding out. You can't rest on what you learned yesterday. Got to pursue it today. You got to always be growing, always. I think there's something going on here. This miracle we know, uh, some, some Bible teachers call it a hinge. He's, he's pivoting a little bit of his, his ministry from being public to being focused on the disciples because the disciples were going to turn the world upside down. And they went from, uh, it, you know, when you went to college, your first couple years were general classes. Everybody took these classes. I took appreciation of the fine arts. I'll tell you how I appreciate fine arts. But the volume turned way down low, right? I'm, I'm a city kid, fine arts. Graffiti? I don't know. Like that's, there's some really good, no. No, but the reality is there's some, there's some truth that Christ needs to convey to his disciples. Can I tell you, you ought to always be growing in your faith. You know, it's amazing. I, I, go I love Bibles. Uh, I, I'm very careful to tell my wife I like in Bible because she gets it for me. I mean, this one is a, a Schuyler Bible. It's goatskin leather. I go on the websites after she buys them and sees how much she pays for them. And that really bugs me, but I love, I love, I love Bibles. I, I've got Bibles from when I was... I think the oldest Bible I have at my house is when I was 13 years old. That's... A long time ago. And I read the notes that I had in the margin, the things that I thought were groundbreaking then, and I read them now and I'm like, duh. <laughs> I thought I was a theologian at age 13. <laughs> I could see, but there was more to see. There was more to see. They were given light. But God was offering them perspective and purpose. When they said, he says, I see men as trees walking. You know what he said? It's fuzzy. Some of us can identify with that. 
I wore glasses. When I first became the pastor of the Grace Baptist Church, I didn't have my, I was supposed to have them, but I don't wear them, right? I, I can see, you know, from here to there, and I'm fine. I just can't, I couldn't read like road signs too far and whatever, and my wife would say, you can't see that. I remember when I got glasses, I remember like, wow, I could see the leaves. I could see, right? It, it, it kind of focused it in. I, I remember the first Sunday I wore my glasses in the pulpit, I was so depressed. Because beforehand, I just thought everybody was happy and they were listening. You should see your faces. That's why I'm not wearing glasses today. I can't tell, I can't tell if you're rolling your eyes, if you're picking your nose. I don't know. I can't see. It's better that way for me. I get into the pulpit. I'm telling you what, I get into the pulpit. I take my glasses off, leave them there. Better not to see. Look at verse 26. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. See, we saw the confidence, we saw the cure, but here we see the conflict. Again, we find Jesus telling the healed to hush. Now, that command doesn't exist today. Amen? We ought to praise the Lord with every breath. But here Jesus is saying, hey, listen, um, you're healed. I'm really excited for you. Um, come back in six weeks and we'll see if we can just, no, that's not, that's, that's what you get now. He says, listen, go, go your way and, and just, and let's not make a big deal about this. Now, I don't know about you, it was a pretty big deal. If I had been healed of blindness, they'd be talking to me later about having a hoarse voice because I wouldn't be able to shut up about it. But this was his pattern. This was his pattern. This is the way he did it. You know why? Because Christ wanted to be received for his words, not as miracles. A couple years back, we, we lost my mother. She was sick. She passed away at the age of 65. We weren't ready for it. She was diagnosed right before Father's Day and right before Thanksgiving. She, 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 well, she's with Jesus, so she was healed. You know what we prayed for? We prayed for a miracle. You better believe we prayed for a miracle. You ever pray for a miracle and it not come? Now, I don't want to mess with your theology, but the Bible says in Hebrews that there were people that believed and didn't receive the promise. What am I saying? God doesn't always choose to heal. The way we want him to heal. Well, you better put that on the end of that statement. He doesn't always choose to heal the way that we want him to heal, but he always does what's for his glory and for our best 100% of the time. It's never, it's, there's not, a, not even a hair off. But when my mom didn't get the healing that we hoped for, can I tell you, we still had his word. His word has never, 
failed us. Can I tell you what I needed more than Christ to heal my mother? I needed his word to be the truth that changes my life. Why didn't Jesus have a big publicity trail? Why was it, like when he fed the, fed the 5,000 and fed the 4,000, why wasn't that he didn't just set up camp and ride the momentum? If you study Christ's life, he never rode the momentum. Because the momentum was deceptive. And people followed him for the wrong reasons. They came back to him not for his teaching. They came back because they were hungry and lazy and they didn't want to have to go get their own bread. And Christ wanted to teach. Now he healed. That healing, God, thank God he did heal because that proved that he was different than any other rabbi or teacher. See, earlier in this chapter, they were seeking for a sign. We used to ride our bike up the street, and I would have this thing in my mind. If I can beat this car to the corner, then that means such and such. You ever, you ever like, you know, we call it, if we want to be spiritual, we'll call it a fleece. God wants us to believe his word. Not to be disconnected for what God can do. Although, thankfully, Mark portrays Jesus as the servant. What can God do for you is the theme type of idea of all that Christ can do. But Christ wants to be more than just the healer. He wants to be the teacher. He's not rejecting the role of healer, but he wants to be the teacher. We have faith in his words and his promises. Listen, if we get dependent upon results for our proof, that's a dangerous place to be. Lord God, if you're real, you'll do this. Come on, let's just be honest. That's what we hear when we have a need. And Lord, if you'll heal us, if you'll do this, if you'll provide for us, then I'll believe in you. Well, you know what I say? I'll believe anyway. And I think there's something that has to be gotten here. And I think this is what his pattern was. It wasn't just a pattern, but there was a problem. Now, let me tell you what the problem was. This town, Bethsaida, is not just any town. They have had a very high exposure to Jesus. But in fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, he denounces one of this city and says this. He says, it would be better if, 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 right, if, we, if we understand all the things that you've seen and here, if these miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, if, if I did what I did here, over there, they would believe me. But I'm doing all of this still here, and you still don't believe me. Bethsaida is the home of three of the disciples, the apostles. 
It's the scene of many, many miracles, including the feeding of the vast multitude. And Matthew says, Matthew records Jesus saying they're cursed. Why? Because they saw God do things time and time again, and it didn't mean anything to them. They never moved past what God could do for them. Listen, church. Honey was giving me some of the history today. We were over here, we were over there, we were in a, a chicken coop or all kind of places. Maybe it wasn't chicken coop, but was it a chicken coop? It was. I did listen. I'm proud of him. I'm like, wow, I caught something. Oh, over in the basement here. And we've been here since 1974. This is a beautiful room. Y'all are beautiful people. The spirit in this place is beautiful. God's done something here. Wait, God's done a lot of things here. You know what's scary? To whom much is given, much is required. There's no room in this church for someone who doesn't want to grow. Because God's done so much here. See, the problem wasn't that, that Christ was going to be attacked. Come on, really? Everything about the crucifixion was, was scripted by God himself. The religious leaders did things that they said that they wouldn't do. Just be, I'm telling you what, it's amazing when you study all the things that fell in line. But the problem was this. When we see all that God's done for us, and we take it for granted, that's scary. When we see what he's done for us and we still carry the same sin. When we see what he's done for us and we still have the same lack of faith. See, the danger we face and it becomes our problem is when we become callous to his presence and his power in our life. This miracle, I believe... Yes, the blind man received the greatest benefit. But can I tell you, that benefit was short-lived because he only lived how many years? But this truth lives on. And it's a lesson that we face as we look in the mirror, as we look in the mirror of his word. As we have been brought out of the blindness and the darkness to light. We need to see. We need to see. And we need to understand. Man, the old song says, ain't God good to give us so many blessings. Don't put the words up. I'm not going to sing it all. Ain't God good to give us so many blessings, undeserving. That's what we are. Now, we need to understand what he's done and why he's done it and then live because of it. We see the confidence we see the cure, and we see the conflict that rages in each and every one of us. This isn't just Bethsaida's problem, it's ours. We take so much for granted spiritually. Father God, today we've been in your house. We've heard your word, 
And Lord, I do pray that you would today grow us because we see what you're doing and we understand. Lord, you said that a man doesn't tell a servant what his plans are, but a man tells his friends. Lord, you've told us so much, and I pray that we would see. Help us to be not confused and distracted by by all of the things of this world that we miss. Just like the disciples, when you were teaching a spiritual lesson, they were looking and thinking about bread. Lord, I pray that our, our lives wouldn't be so confused, so misguided. Lord, there were a lot of points, a lot of things to consider and chew on. I know you spoke to us. Lord, I pray that we, your church, would respond. I'm going to ask you just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And before I step out of the way, let me just ask you this question. No one's looking. Is there someone in this room that says, boy, I'm in the crowd, but I've not been pulled aside with Jesus. I do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how that's found. That's found in accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that all men, every one of us are sinners. We're born that way and we choose to stay that way. We're all sinners. The Bible also tells us that the man that sins, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, Jesus Christ lived a perfect sinless life. He died on a cross, a death he didn't deserve, a death that we deserved. He chose that death so that he can pay the price for our sin. He's done all the work. The only work you need to do is to accept that. If you're in this room today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, would you just do me a favor? Just everybody's looking down. But if you're here, say, Pastor Joe, would you pray for me that I... I have that relationship with Christ myself. I want that. Pray for me. Church, maybe the rest of us would be challenged today to look past some of these temporal things and see what God's doing in our lives. Maybe you just need to be reminded that He's present, that He's powerful. Maybe you need to be reminded it's a personal walk, not just a corporate one. Maybe you realize that God's doing something in your life and sometimes he uses stages to accomplish it. Maybe today you're seeing how he does things and maybe you're, maybe if you're just honest, you've grown a little callous. Lord, I pray that we, your people, would align our lives to the word we've heard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.